Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence. It's been a rainy day and I'm sure that the rain, the inclement weather has impacted our number today, but we're glad that you're here and if you're visiting, we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're so thankful for those who visit us on a regular basis. We're grateful for the family that we have here at Olive Branch. It's our prayer that that our work here will continue to grow and prosper. We're grateful for the baptism that we had this morning, a new brother in Christ. We're so thankful for him. And we pray that this trend will continue. And we've had some great weeks here recently, and so we're very thankful for that. Tonight we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to, we're going to be talking about looking at life differently. As we look at Colossians chapter 3 tonight together, we want to think about for a minute or two what it means to be a Christian and how as children of God, we view life differently. We don't look at, the, at things the same as people in the world. And so we're going to be talking about that in just one moment or two. I do want to make mention very quickly, we have a large number of young folks sitting to my left. And it is really great to see all the young people that come to our services here. And it is heartwarming to see such enthusiasm among our youth. And I, very, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate the great example that you set. I think about when I came to Olive Branch in 2007. We just had a couple of families with young people. And now you look at all the, the young people that we have. And so we're very grateful for that. God has blessed the work here. It's my prayer that he will continue to bless our efforts for his cause. Tonight we look at Colossians chapter 3 and we think about looking at life differently. As a child of God, how do you look at life? I would hope and pray that you look at life through spiritual lens that you look at life from an eternal perspective. There are a lot of people in our world today, they look at life based on the here and now. And what Paul wants us to do in writing to the church at Colossae is to look at life from a spiritual dimension. So we're going to talk about that for just a moment or two tonight. I want to begin by calling attention to our position in Christ. When we become children of God, our position, our state changes. And really it could be summed up in the words of Paul in Colossians chapter 3 at verse 1 when he says, you were raised with Christ. Think with me for just a moment or two about the state of those who are outside of Christ. The Bible says that those who are outside of Christ are dead in trespasses and sins, according to Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 1. Those who are outside of Christ, they are without hope and without God in this world, Ephesians 2 at verse 12. Those who are outside of Christ, they face condemnation. Ultimately, a life outside of Christ 
leads to eternal separation, spiritual death. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Contrast that with the state of those who are inside Christ. Listen now as Paul writes to the church at Colossae, and he is writing to people that had at one time been in the world. And he said that God had delivered them out of the power of darkness and translated them into the kingdom of God's dear son. And so it's in that sphere that he said they enjoy forgiveness through his blood. Redemption, if you please. And so in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, Paul said, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Those who are in Jesus Christ, first and foremost, enjoy forgiveness. Is there any greater blessing than knowing our sins have been forgiven? To know that there is a gracious God in heaven who will wipe our sins away. As Ananias said, he will wash away our sins in Acts chapter 22, verse 16. When Paul said that they had been raised with Christ, he's really talking about their obedience to the gospel. Again, in Colossians chapter 1, at verse 13, he said they had been delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And he said it's in that context that they enjoyed redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Did they believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God? Yes, they did. You would be hard-pressed to find a book in the New Testament that exalts Jesus any more than the book of Colossians. Over and over again, the Apostle Paul emphasizes Christ. And there's a contrast. In Ephesians, he emphasizes the church that belongs to Christ. In Colossians, he emphasizes the Christ, the Son of God. And so these people believed in Jesus as the Son of God. They had repented of their sins. They had confessed the name of Christ before others. And they had been buried with him in a watery grave of baptism. And so the reference here, when Paul said they were raised with Christ, reminds us of what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6. At verse 3, when he said, Know ye not that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. He said, If we have been planted together with him in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him, the body of sin might be destroyed. So here is the Apostle Paul and he's saying, you were raised with Christ. You have emerged from the watery grave of baptism as a new creature, a new creation, a new person in Christ Jesus. That old person has been put to death. And we talk about those who are dead in sin and the concept here is we are dead to sin. 
When you obeyed the gospel, you died to the love and the practice of sin. You remember what Paul said in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24? He said, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and lust. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul would say, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom the world has been crucified unto me, and I unto the world. There's the idea of dying to a life of sin. When we obey the gospel, that old person is put to death. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 4, Colossians chapter 3, Paul contrasts the old man outside of Christ and the new man in Christ. We emerge a new person. As we said in our lesson this morning, if any man's in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So we enjoy forgiveness. I want you to think for just a minute about those who lived under the old covenant. Those people had a remembrance of sin every year. And yet, those of us who belong to the body of Christ, our sins are purged, washed away, remitted. We never again see them. Again, the Hebrew writer said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. So there is forgiveness and then there is freedom. In Jesus Christ, we are free. We enjoy freedom from sin. We enjoy freedom from the slavery of sin. In John chapter 8, Jesus talked about those who are bondservants or servants of sin. And he said, in effect, that they are the bondservant of that lifestyle. And yet Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Thank God that we can be free in Christ Jesus. And there's a third thing, and that is we enjoy family relations in Christ. In Jesus Christ, we are a part of the body of Christ. Universally, we are a part of the church, the ecclesia, the community of the saved. The church is the called out. As Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 9, we have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so we are a part of God's family. In the, in the first century, you remember those that had obeyed the gospel on Pentecost Day in Acts chapter 2? And Luke said that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. They were a part of God's family. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul talks about the family of God, the household of God. Again, in Ephesians chapter 2, the same idea. We are a part of the household of God. To know that we are a part of God's divine family. So Paul addresses, first of all, our position in Christ, but then there's a second thing he talks about, and that is our priority in Christ. Listen, if you would, to what Paul said in verse 2. Set your mind on things above. My priority as a child of God as well as yours, is to set your mind, set your affection on things above. If you look at verse 1, he would say, seek those things which are above. 
First of all, there is a battle that must be fought. What kind of battle are you talking about? A spiritual battle. Paul talked about waging a good warfare. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he would instruct us to fight the good fight of faith. We're at war. And the devil is leading the charge. And the world is saying, come and be a part of us. Note the challenge that is set forth in verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. There are a lot of people in our world today. They're so caught up in what's going on in the here and now. They have completely forgotten about eternity. They've forgotten about looking at things from a spiritual dimension. And Paul is saying, look, as a child of God, you're involved in a battle. The battle is for your mind. The battle is for your allegiance, your time, your treasures, your talents. The world, if you're not careful, can shape and fashion you after its own. Paul in Romans chapter 12 said we're not to be conformed unto the world, but rather we're to be transformed. And the, and the word there, conformed, means to pour into a mold. It's shaping and fashioning people. And Paul's saying as a child of God, you don't need to let that happen to you. Think about sometimes how people allow the world to shape their, their thoughts and their ideologies and their philosophies and sometimes their religion. And there are people that allow the world to influence what they say and where they go and what they do. And Paul's saying as a child of God, what you need to do is focus your mind on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. Why would that be? Because, as John said, the world is passing away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of the Father abideth forever. There is a strong, there is a strong battle that is ongoing. And on this battlefield, God's people are having to do battle with the God of this age. The God of this age has marked his territory. And what he wants to do is get a foothold in your life. That's why Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 4, neither give place to the devil. Don't let him get a foothold in your life. Because once he gets a foothold, guess what? He's coming in. Do you remember the words of James in James chapter 4? When he said, you adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore would make himself a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So we have to keep our distance from the world. From the vantage point, we don't allow the world to influence who we are and what we are. So there is this battle that must be fought. But then secondly, there is balance that must be found. There is a balance. I think about life. Life has to have balance, doesn't it? And we talk about 
having a balanced life and understanding what's important, what's not important, what's essential, what is non-essential. There are a lot of people that, if you were to look at their lives, what you would say is they're out of balance, they're out of kilter. Their lives are out of harmony. Why is that? Because their lives are without God. When people live without God, there is a void or a vacuum. In Christ Jesus, I believe that void or that vacuum is filled. Look at Solomon. Solomon is a tremendous example of somebody that tried everything the world has, and yet Solomon came away with feelings of emptiness. He would use the word, the word vanity. He would say, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. When you explore everything that Solomon experienced in this life, and let me tell you what, you talk about somebody that threw a party every day, so to speak. You talk about somebody that had everything this world has to offer. Solomon was that guy. And yet Solomon said, that those things were meaningless without God, didn't he? You remember in chapter 12 when he said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter? What's life all about, Solomon? Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. All he's saying is, life without God is meaningless. It is vain. And there are a lot of people in our world today, they may live to be 60, 70, 80 years of, of age, they have lived lives without God, without Christ in their life. They come to the end of the road and they say, you know what? My life lacked purpose, direction. It lacked meaning. There was no substance to it. Solomon said, if you want substance to your life, what you need to do is make God the all of your life. So, this vacuum or this void can only be filled by God. And then there's a second thing. We talk about balance. In Christ Jesus, we gain value. In other words, there is value to life in God. You ever thought about that? You see... What we have in this world, the physical, the material, those transitory blessings that come our way on a daily basis, that's what they are, things. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. And yet when I set my mind on things above, here's what I do. I understand that there is a bank that I can send up my treasures to. That bank's in heaven. Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on this earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But he said, here's what you need to do. You need to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. I want you to think about something. 
you might not have you might not have a lot of money you may never own a lot of land you might not ever be thought of in prominent circles you may never climb the ladder in some social circles you might never be a corporate executive but if you are in Christ if your life is in God you know what you have something far greater that is you have treasures in heaven and the beauty of it is there's not one person that can take it from you it's there to know that we are sending up treasures to almighty God or to heaven so Paul said, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. That's the priority. Then there's a third thing I want you to see, and that is our passion in Christ. What about our passion? Listen, if you would, to what Paul says in verse 4. Christ is our life. When it's all said and done, what Paul is saying is, as a child of God, your life is to revolve 24-7 around one person. It's Jesus Christ. Earlier today, I looked at Colossians chapter 1. And I was noticing the number of references that Paul made to Jesus. I'd encourage you tonight, go home and count the number of times the Apostle Paul alludes to Jesus in, just in chapter 1. Paul summed it up well in Colossians 1.18. He said that in all things he may have preeminence. Jesus must have preeminence in our lives. He wants to be number one, doesn't he? He wants to be the focal point of my life and yours as well. So here's Paul, he's writing to the church at, Col at Colossae rather. And he said, when Christ who is our life. I want to ask you a question tonight. Is Jesus Christ your life? Is he the hub of your life? Does everything in your life revolve around Jesus? If it doesn't, you need to rethink your priorities. The passion that we're to have for Christ is reflected in our aim. That is, what's most important? Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6.33? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. That word first means before anything else. In time, in place, in priority. I wonder how many people. I'm talking about. wonder how many people genuinely put Jesus first in life. Are you one of those people? I hope so. Jesus Christ. He has to be the aim of my life. So I think about our aim and then our affection. 
Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 22 that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. He said this is the first and great commandment, to love God. I mean to love Him more than anything. It's quite a challenge, isn't it? There are so many things that vie for our affection. And to say that when it comes to deity, to God, to Christ, that's my first love. I think about the church at Ephesus. Paul had instructed them in Ephesians chapter 5 to walk in love. As Christ also had loved them and given himself as an offering and a sacrifice to Almighty God. And then some 30 years later when John writes the revelation and Jesus peers into the church at Ephesus, his conclusion was they had left their first love. Jesus was no longer number one in terms of their affection. He has to be number one when it comes to my aim in life with regard to my affection what about my allegiance? We talk about our allegiance to our family, to our friends, to our work, to our school, to our ball club, to our country. Sometimes people talk about how they are patriots. They're a patriot. We can appreciate that. But to make the Lord such a vital part of my life that my allegiance is to Him come what may. I think about Christianity and when, when we sign on to become New Testament Christians, when we, when we obey the gospel of Christ, what we're saying is we're going to walk side by side with the Lord Jesus Christ until death. And then we just transition to paradise. But to know that he has my absolute allegiance. Do you remember what he said in Revelation chapter 2 at verse 10? Be faithful until death. That is, in the face of death, you be faithful. And he said, if you'll do that, I'll give you the Stephanos, the victor's crown. The crown of righteousness, as Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4. At verse 8. And then what about my actions? If my passion in Christ is what it ought to be, it will be reflected in what I do in life, won't it? In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talked about his second coming. He said he would come with all his holy angels. He would be seated upon the throne of his glory. He would begin to separate those before him as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. To those on the right hand, he would say, I was hungry. And what would you do? You gave me something to eat, didn't you? I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was naked. You clothed me. I was sick and in prison. What would you do? You visited me. And Jesus said, inasmuch as you did it unto one of these least of my disciples, you did it unto me. 
We've been saved to serve. But we serve out of gratitude, don't we? It is a labor of love. We serve in the kingdom of God because we want to. There's no coercion. But rather we do it because we want to serve the Lord. And in doing that, our goal is to bring honor and glory to God, isn't it? Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. If our passion is what it ought to be, then we'll be busy working in the kingdom of God. What's the song? I will work till Jesus comes or till I'm called home. I hope and pray that we can, we can work up until the very end of life and then go home to be with him in glory. There's a fourth thing I want you to see very quickly. And that is our promise in Christ. Paul said, with regard to this promise, that we will appear with him in glory. One day, known to God, Jesus will come again. Jesus said, of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only, according to Matthew 24, 36. He will come as a thief in the night. Did you know that when Jesus comes, we will be with the Savior in glory? I wonder what it'll be like to be in the presence of deity, to bask in the presence of God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit forevermore. The Bible says we shall see him as he is, according to 1 John chapter 3. There are a lot of folks in our world today. They have been in the presence of great people. But nothing will ever compare to our, be to our being in the presence of the Godhead. To be in the presence of our Creator and our Redeemer. I don't know of anything any greater. Not only will we be with the Savior in glory, but we will be with the saints in glory, won't we? One day God's people will have a grand reunion. That grand reunion will occur in heaven when all of God's people get home. I hope and pray we're all there. Listen to what Paul said in verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus will one day come. We'll be in his presence. And we'll be in the presence of his people. It's going to be a sweet time. I want to encourage you as we close this evening to look at life through spiritual lens. To recognize that as a child of God, we're special people. What makes us special is the Lord Jesus Christ because we're a part of his special family. And what makes living the Christian life so special is that one day 
we will appear with him in glory. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful for the opportunity to be together, to read, to study, to sing, to pray. We're grateful to be surrounded by people of like faith. We're thankful for the provisions that we have in Christ and the hope that we have beyond this life. And Father, we realize that in life so many times we come miserably short of the expectations that are set forth in Scripture. Help us as your people to seek those things which are above. Help us to live in such a way so that one day when Jesus comes, we will appear with him in glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's who he claimed to be, repenting of every sin, walking away from a life that is dominated by the God of this age, and then to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that you believe Jesus is the Son of God, and then to be immersed in a watery grave of baptism, to rise to walk in newness of life, to have all your sins washed away. If you're here tonight and maybe you're not what you ought to be and you want us to pray with you and for you, we have that privilege. We'd be happy to do it with you and with you tonight. Life can be hard. The Bible talks about besetting sins and sometimes we get caught up in the world. But to know that forgiveness is available. John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you come as we stand and sing?